Good morning, everybody. It's an honor to be up here and to be able to share with you this morning. And, uh, and just, as I, um, just as I start off, the sense I have of what the Lord is wanting to do today, this will speak to the older people in the congregation. The young ones won't get it because they know about GPS. But you know how you used to get the map? And it's like, if you could just tell me where I am, then I'd know how to get there, right? But where am I on the map? And so really this morning is about trying to pinpoint where we are on the map right now. Well, I'll just pray as we start. Lord, I just thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We welcome you and I just give you my heart, my mind, my thoughts, my words now. And may what comes out of my mouth be honoring to you be from your heart, direct to the hearts of the people here. May they be blessed, encouraged and challenged into all that you are and all that you have for them and for us as a family. Come Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Okay. So, I had an opportunity to, to speak with you a few times through the summer, um, through the family service. And um, you may or may not remember those messages, but I do. And uh, since, since that time, the Lord's been speaking to me on a number of levels. And there's a particular area that I want to try and share with you today. But I have to tell you that as I've, and I've been pondering this over the last few months, but as I came to trying to put things down on paper this week, I have to tell you that, that it wasn't necessarily that easy to get my thoughts down. And I realized that part of the struggle I was having is that personally I was dealing with the very thing that I wanted to talk about. So um, I'm hoping and praying that what I share comes across clearly enough um, that you will be blessed and encouraged this morning. So just a really brief Recap. In the summer, the focus I shared with you was how we invited to walk with and before the Lord, humbling ourselves and letting Holy Spirit lead us as we respond to the nudges and the needs of those around us. We respond with mercy and justice and grace and most of all, love. We spoke about how we need Jesus to feed, grow, and change our spirits. That knowledge, education, food may feed our bodies and our minds. They may change us outwardly. But for lasting growth and inward change, it's an inside job, and only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And I don't know um, if you'll remember, but I, I also shared that I had a sense that we were heading into and are in a season of change where we are all likely going to be challenged with some of the things that are familiar and comfortable and preferred for us. Some of our priorities are going to be challenged. And there's going to be areas where we, things that we don't like, we plain disagree with. That it's, but the encouragement was that it is a time of growth and stretching and it's going to require us to humble ourselves and to be patient and learn how to extend grace towards others 
as we learn new ways of doing things and relating, as we test and risk and step out of the familiar into what for some of us may be unknown territory. Grace. Grace. And that as someone risks and step out into a new area, we have a choice in our response. We can be a bystander, critiquing their efforts and identifying how we would do it differently or better or why it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Or we can step in and like a lifeguard, keep watch over them, pray for them, for all that the Lord is wanting to do in and through them in the process of refining and growth in them, but also in us, in me. So it's been an interesting time this fall seeing people stepping up and risking in new and and wonderful ways. I mean, we've spoken about it this morning. In speaking, the different people we've heard speaking through the fall, in worship, in the start of the worship nights, in ministry into the community, in the youth ministry, leading small groups. There's growth and there's movement and there's challenge, and there's encouragement, and there's successes, and there's struggle, and there's mistakes, and there's frustration, there's misunderstanding, there's even offense. And as I've thought more about this, and observed us as the church family this morning, myself included, I've come to realize that much as I love the idea of trust the Lord with all your strength, Lean on not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. As much as I love that, walking it out can be a little bit more challenging. We, we as a church body, as well as many individuals within the body, have these powerful prophetic words that have been spoken of us about who we are in the kingdom of heaven and what God has for us, who he's calling us to be, and what he's calling us to do personally, in our families, in our church, and in the wider community. So we have these promises we're going after, and we see where we are now, and sometimes it's feel if we can never get there. It's never going to happen. Maybe God made a mistake, or maybe he's forgotten what he said. And if he really did say that, He sure has a a strange way of going about it. And really, here, now, with these people? Our faith and trust can start to waver. And doubt is crouching at the door, just waiting for an opportunity to jump in. It's one thing to say, I trust you, God, when I know what's going on and I see the way forward. Even if it's challenging, It's one thing to trust God when people around me agree with me and are responding the way I think they should or the way I expect them to. But what about when they don't? What about when I just don't get what God is doing? When I've lost the plot or it appears he has? When everything I try, my absolute best to do, is not enough. And it produces more challenge rather than helping or healing. What about when the people I love are struggling? 
grew up with it making poor choices or behaving badly or even worse when I'm behaving badly. How do I respond then? What does faith and trust look like then? As we read this morning, faith is not based on our understanding or what we've seen or experienced in the past. Rather, it is about being confident in what we believe and hope for and having joyful expectation of the good, the good that is to come that we do not yet see. That's what faith is. And that joyful expectation is based not on me or those around me, but rather is based on who God is and Jesus' ability and faithfulness to finish what he started and will complete. And I think this is where we can get so mixed up. When I understand, it's, when I understand, it seems easier to put my faith in Jesus' ability. But when I don't get it, when it doesn't make sense, when things just don't seem to be going the way I thought they would or should, then I so easily turn from looking at Jesus and his ability to what I perceive as my ability or inability, or the ability or inability of those around me. I start to try and write the end of the story based on my perspective, my wisdom, my knowledge, and my past experience. I mean, we can start so well, connected to Jesus, walking with him, open and letting him move in and through us. I surrender, the, the Hillsong's song, I surrender, I love it, it's one of my favorites. Find me here, down on my knees again, surrendering all, surrendering all. And then later on, I surrender, I want to know you more. Lord, have your way, have your way with me. We start to get in step with Holy Spirit. We start gaining a bit of confidence, seeing things shift, receiving a few compliments, a little recognition, a measure of success, none of which is bad. But if we're not careful, it is so very quickly our gaze will shift from Jesus' face to our hands. Our ego is stroked and we'll find ourselves scrambling up off our knees and going after in our own strength and passion and wisdom what we need to follow and fulfill my calling and feeling frustrated and resentful of anything or anyone that holds us back. And I have to say that it appears this tendency (laughs) to fall back onto self-focus is part of the journey of every disciple, every follower of Jesus. In the book of Mark, it's recorded that Jesus tells his disciples about his forthcoming arrest, punishment, and death on three separate occasions. And each time, the disciples' response is one of pride and self-focus rather than humility. Mark 8:32, He, Jesus, spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then in Mark 30, 
Jesus again tells his disciples he's going to be delivered into the hands of men, killed, and after three days rise again. The disciples don't understand and are afraid to ask. So this time, as they walk along the road, they start arguing about who's to be, who is the greatest. So Jesus had to sit the twelve down and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. The third time is Mark 10.33, where Jesus predicts his being delivered into the hands of the chief priests, handed over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. And the disciples' response? You'd have thought they'd have got it by now. Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right hand and the other at your left in glory. Really? Jesus has just described the horrific torture and brutal death he's facing and the response is, oh, save us a seat in heaven, will you? Really? To carry on. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. These examples illustrate not only the pride that we can walk in, even in the presence of Jesus, but some other pretty unpleasant characteristics and traits as well that can appear right alongside. Jealousy, competition, comparison, not a pretty picture but I don't want you to get too discouraged because it is not without hope and we're talking about hope in each situation the disciples gave Jesus gave the disciples and us the solution keep our eyes, our thoughts our attention and our focus on Jesus and heaven 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our lighter momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not, what is on, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we look from that perspective and not our own. 
And we remember that we, like Jesus, are called to serve, not be served. To be willing to be last, to give sacrificially for others, to act with humility, not considering ourselves better than others and having a moderate view of our own importance. That's the Oxford Dictionary of def- dictionary definition of, of humility. 1 Peter 5.5 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I think we can add to that. Cast all your anxiety, your frustration, your fear, your doubt, your weariness. Cast it all on Jesus. That's what he paid the price for. Give it all to him. And this is the process of character building and the journey we're all on. The gifts and talents and opportunities and blessings that come our way that God has so richly poured out of this body. They're not for our glory, but for his and for the benefit of those around us. Romans 15, 1 and 2. This is from the message. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. I love that. Strength is for service, not status. It's my new favorite line to say to Miles when he flexes his muscles at me. But attached to this is a truth for us to consider well. And it came up in our ladies' Bible study group. Taking less now does not mean having less in our future. Taking less now does not mean having less in our future. What I mean by that is if I humble myself and my desire, and what I want, and what I think I deserve, if I'm willing to lay that down to lift somebody else up, God sees that. And just because I don't get what I want and need now, doesn't mean he's forgotten the word over my life, doesn't mean that he won't fulfill what he promised. Acts of honor are never lost in translation. They're never lost. And that brings me to the next thing I wanted to touch on. That I believe God is really leading us through and wants us to grasp and grow in in this season. We have had some teaching and talked about a culture of honor around here for a number of years. And for those who are unfamiliar with that phrase, it's one that has arisen to describe the manner of interacting and relating with one another that has grown out of Bethel Church. It's not only there, but that's where the phrase has been coined. The basis of it is helping all family members grow into the best version of themselves they can. The fullness of what God has for them and to walk it out. To help people to develop into powerful people 
which means people who know how to take responsibility for themselves and their words, their actions, their behavior, relating to one another with respect and honor, not blaming, not forcing, recognizing and calling out the gifts and strengths that we see and supporting and covering one another in our weaknesses with clear, open, honest, and sometimes tough conversations. As I said, we've had some teaching, we've done some reading, we've talked quite a bit about this over the past few years within the church and particularly within the leadership. But you all know, as I do, that knowing something and doing it are not always the same or as easy. We can be very determined people. And we all have our blind spots where we're oblivious to our issues that are so glaringly obvious to others, while at the same time acutely aware of the faults in them and the weaknesses in them. We're really good at justifying why I do this or don't do this, or, or finding, bl- placing blame on somebody else as to why we could or couldn't do something. We're so good at it. However, I believe that learning how to address these issues with humility, with love, and with grace is a really important growth process for us in this season. For God to be able to release all that he has for us as a body and individuals, for him to be able to move in and through us to fulfill Luke 4.18, to set the captives free. We have to develop the strength of character that can hold that. People, it's time to grow up. We have to grow up and have the grace and humility to be challenged and be challenged, to own our reactions and to allow God to meet us and heal us where our wounds are tripping us and others up. As I heard Graham Cook say many years ago, you can't expect to never get hurt in the church, but you can expect to be quickly healed. And I would just add to that, if you are open and if you want it. And this maturing is so important, working out how to deal with this. Because otherwise we will end up in one of two places. Either... Either we'll end up wanting to retreat from the promises God has for us back into the safe and familiar territory to lick our wounds, like the Israelites who wanted to return to the known slavery of Egypt rather than trust that God was for them and had a miraculous way forward. We'll either go that way or we'll end up sabotaging the very things we most desire by taking control and trying to play musical chairs with God's throne and dragging his reputation and glory and majesty through the mud of our pride and self-serving. Neither is a pretty picture. So how do we do this? This is finding kind of hard and heavy. And it is if we insist on looking at ourselves and our ability But that isn't what our faith is based on. Paul states this well, Corinthians 2.4, 
My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but God's power. And again, we're not alone in this. We see the disciples struggled with what Jesus was asking here too. In Mark 10:26, Jesus had just finished talking to the rich young ruler about what he needed to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he'd walked away sad. And it says, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Isaiah 55.8 For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And this is where the hope of Advent, of Jesus coming to earth, comes in. He came to reveal the love of the Father to a lost, confused, frustrated, can't find their place on the map, people. To show us the way to live in step with the Father, empowered with the, by the Spirit, to see the kingdom of heaven released here on earth. And I think even as we celebrate Jesus' birth and Christmas and consider all that he laid down as a baby, born in a dirty stable, as John talked about last week, even at, at the uh, Last Supper, when Jesus took off his robes and tied the, ta- the towel around his waist, just representing all that Jesus laid down, all his godness, he laid it down. Even as we remember that at Christmas, with the arrival of Jesus in the stable, it's so important for us to remember just who Jesus was, is, and always will be. Because he's not just a baby in a manger. Not just another man, albeit a wise one. But he is all-powerful, all-knowing, saviour of the world, the son of God. I just want to read you a short passage from The Lioness Arising, which is the book that we've been studying in ladies' group. If you're wondering how to lift your eyes to heaven, one needs to look no further than the book of Revelation to gain a heavenly perspective. Please don't think of this book as a scary end times prophecy manual. It's a collection of revelations of the was, the is, and the is to come. God is independent of time. He is timeless. And he often speaks to us from this position. There is an appalling need for an upward glance. We're still preaching Jesus walking on the shores of Galilee, hanging out with the guys, stripped of his deity, and moving around earth as the son of man. What about the Jesus that revealed himself to John in Revelation? Picture this, if you can. The son of man in a robe and gold breastplate. Hair a blizzard of white. Eyes pouring fire blaze. Both feet furnace-fired bronze. His voice a cataract, a roaring waterfall. 
his right hand holding seven stars, his mouth a sharp biting sword, his face a perigee sun. I saw this and fainted dead at his feet. His right hand pulled me upright, his voice reassured me. Don't fear. I am first, I am last, I'm alive. I died, but I came to life, and my life is now forever. See these keys in my hand. They open and lock death's doors. They open and lock hell's gate. Now write down everything you see, things that are, things about to be. That's Revelation 1, 13 to 19. Let's keep it real here. John was quite possibly the most stable of the twelve. It appears he may have been one of Jesus' favorites. After all, he was the one Jesus confided in at the Last Supper. John saw Jesus revealed in heaven as the Son of God and fainted dead at his feet. This is a bit more than the lamb-carrying, fish-cooking Jesus. This is the Son of the Most High God, revealed as a star-holding, armed, majestic warrior king. What if we started preaching this fierce revelation of Jesus? Why would this reveal be necessary? Don't we have a record of how he lived and walked on this earth? I believe it is a glimpse of who this triumphant Jesus, our Messiah, truly is. He stripped himself and became like us so we could strip ourselves and become like him. He is mighty. He is holy. He is glorious. So look up. So as Moses said to the Israelites, as the Egyptians bore down on them on the shores of the Red Sea, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today, your enemy for you're never going to see them again. I believe there's a hope and a promise for us there. Take a look at your enemy. What is it? Is it impatience? Is it frustration? Is it despair? Is it addiction? Is it anger? Take a good look at it. Don't hide it. Don't deny it. Take a good look at it because God wants to deal with it so you will see it no more. And that is our hope that regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, however stuck it appears, however resistant we find ourselves or those around us, God is able And his purposes and plans will be fulfilled either with or without us. The choice is ours. As a church, I believe God is saying to us, we are standing right on the edge of the Jordan River. We are ready to cross over into the promised land. It's right here. But we need to consecrate ourselves just as the Israelites had to. We need to get ready. 
where we are headed requires a new way of relating, of walking with one another, to be able to hold what he, what he desires to pour out. A new wineskin. The old ways and patterns of being cannot contain what lies ahead. So be encouraged. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. And you, every one of you, are invited on the journey. So in closing, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I just want to read you again from the message. Part of that reading that Barbara gave. If you all want to stand, I just want to invite you as we stand here, just ask the Lord, Lord, what is the thing that's holding me back? What's the thing in me that's holding me back? And I want you to hold that out. Just put your hands out and hold it out. Offer it to him. And as you do that, I'm just going to read. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way cross, shame, whatever and now he's there in the place of honour right alongside God when you find yourselves flagging in your face go over that story again item by item that long litany of hostility he ploughed through that will shoot adrenaline into your souls and so Lord as we come before you now And we pour our hearts out before you. We lift before you the areas that we have struggled with, that have tripped us up, that have tripped our friends and family up. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, where we've held on to things. And we ask you, Jesus, take them from us. Take them from us. And in return, Lord, Father, we ask you, What do you have for us? I believe it's hope. And so I bless you, every one of you, that you would receive hope like you have never known this season. Hope that the God of all the universe knows you and sees you and cares intimately and deeply about you. He hasn't lost the plot. He knows exactly where you are. Amen.